Der Fußball ist zurück in der zweiten Liga. Bravo, macht Tempo, wartet auf Harte. Herzlang gekommen und jetzt ist es Klos. Also, Arminia Bielefeld. Penny, 2-0. 2-0 für den FC St. Pauli. Diese Flanke, Tor, nächster Treffer. Es ist heuer, Fernandes mit vorne. Ja klar ist er mit vorne. Kittel mit der Ecke, Pujat, Guten Tag and welcome to another edition of the Sparta Bundesliga podcasts. On today's edition, we'll be discussing all of the action from an action-packed match day 27. We have a bit more clarity at the top of the standings. Two teams have definitely pulled away in their quest for automatic promotion. And it is starting to get a little bit interesting as their race heats up for the final playoff spot. Down the bottom, though, it still remains tight and cagey, although it is starting to become a little bit clearer as to who may be going down to the Dritter Liga come season's end. To help me discuss everything Sparta Bundesliga and from the weekend's action is a happy Eva Lotterbola. Eva, good morning to you. Um, an interesting weekend of football. Some things were probably less explainable than others. But what we did see, especially on the Sunday, was plenty and plenty of goals. Yeah, and you can really see that. Like, we're at this point where it isn't enough to show like good tactics, show a good idea of playing football. We're at the stage where there's only one thing that matters more than the rest of the season, probably, and that are results. Like it, we. In the end, a result doesn't care who was the better side statistically, who was the team who played better football, who had more chances. In the end, only results count. Um, and that's a very like obvious thing to say. Like I have the captain obvious give night right next to me, probably blinking half of the times so I'm in this podcast. But uh, obviously, this is more than ever this is where it counts and you see that there are still teams who I have the feeling seem like oh we have enough time to like look at that and look at that and um, solve that problem and this problem and at some stage it ha just has to work but it doesn't for, for some teams or other it does um, I think we have seen a weekend where we can be a bit more sure who will be like in the final three and then the top three towards the end. Not like obviously because it's a Zweite Liga, we not we will not have like a checkbox behind that. But obviously we we get the tendencies like just because of in the end it's a bit about luck. Like who is running out of luck? Who has luck in the right scenes in the right games? Um, And this is what we will probably like see for the following match days as well, where it gets closer and closer, and where like once again it is not enough just to have your own result, but you have to look at the other results, and um, yeah, you cannot stop in doing something. So yeah, that's very generic talk for me, but yeah. <laughs> I, like sometimes the. The easy wins are picking out the things that are right in front of us. And in the relegation battle, which we are definitely going to talk about, 
as much as you have to worry about what the teams around you are doing, if you're in a position where you're ahead of the bottom three, you just have to take points and, you know, focus on yourself and get results. And as we'll talk about, some teams found themselves in pretty difficult situations, but were able to get something out of it when it seemed less likely for them to do so. But we're going to start at the top because, you know, with eight games remaining, it is tense. But one team that is making sure that they are not going to be sweating with a few games remaining will be Darmstadt. They took on Paderborn on Sunday afternoon in front of six, over 16,500 at the Merck Stadium um, Ballenfeld Tour. A game in which kind of ebbed and flowed with, with, as you would come to expect from a Darmstadt game. They had some good control. They opened the scoring through Matthias Batter. They gave away a penalty. Clear penalty, by the way. Florent Mazzilia takes. He scores. 1-1 at the break. And then Braden Manu, uh, the benefactor of a rare Ron Schellenberg error to make it 2-1. Um, yeah, that was hard to watch, that one. That was a really costly error, um, obviously, because it led to a goal. Darmstadt did have their chances late in the game. Uh, they actually kept, you know, Darmstadt basically just shut up shop for the last 20 minutes, didn't have a shot on goal, um, but unable to um, to make something happen. I would describe Paderborn's performance as some that you would say they left too much on the bone in this one. They had their chances. There were definitely phases where they were, you know, far more stronger than what Darmstadt were outputting, but once again, you know, you have to commend the efficiency that Darmstadt produced going forward. But also, Marcel Schuens having a really good season. And once again, when the game was on the line, he was called upon and helped Torsten Lieberknecht's side secure another three points. Yeah, and I mean, I have to say in a way that there, there's this one last scene in this game where Platter is in front of Schoen and he has so many opportunities to score a goal and somehow he just like I don't really know what he does he tries to give the ball away into the box to another player but I think in my opinion he should have taken the shot himself um and and in a way obviously it doesn't help him as being like hasn't given the he was given the chance through the injuries of the other strikers uh, and he like hasn't really fulfilled that spot as of now. Uh, and it's a very difficult, yeah, 2023, I think at least for him um, because obviously this is, those are scenes where you can say, okay, to two, obviously like similar to, to Dusseldorf, who we're going to talk about later where, where a point doesn't really help you, where you, need three points to kind of open up that like have a foot in the door until the end at least for the relegation playoff spot it's difficult and I mean I think if you look at the at the first half we said this before we started to record I had the feeling a lot of games needed like 15 to 20 minutes uh, to really get going because we are obviously we said this before we're at that stage where you need results at the same time we really know that if you're the team who makes the first mistake, um, because like it gives your opponent too much room to create there or to do their thing, uh, it, it it can cost you a lot as well. Um, for me, 
Darmstadt like had too much space over the left side. So Jukovic was good. Like t- together with Mielim, I really like that combination. I think they work together very well. Um, and they work together, especially in the in the first half where we were. Um, that was the it it had to happen at some point that the that Darmstadt was was getting that goal. Um, what they did differently here is that they kind of took on the fight in the second half. Like when we when we look at past Darmstadt games um, where they scored the first goal and then like the rest of the game, no matter when the goal was happening, you didn't really see a lot of them. That was a bit different in this game. Um, and I think they gave away huge chances as well. You had the one scene where you have three players on the back post, um, but nobody like gets the ball properly. Um, and obviously, Darmstadt is still a team that can put pressure on your opponent so they make mistakes. What happened with Scheinberg? Like, I don't... I would not only put it on him because I think the build-up in that scene is weird from the get-go. Mm. Um, like, midfield was not positioned good enough to, to outplay it like that. But, yeah. Probably a point would have been deserved by Paderborn, but as we said before, any results matter. And, um, yeah, for them... It's, it's just not going to be enough um, and I think they can start and think about how they want to plan uh, the new season. I mean, it's good as well in a way to obviously know okay, this is we can plan the squad with those and those players of this. Obviously, there will be a huge question mark behind the name Ron Schallenberg. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean they would definitely look back at those injuries um and might think this this was what cost them the the promotion, but uh, yeah, I mean, if we think back to Darmstadt, we had struggles with injuries as well throughout the season, and especially in games when they played like Hamburg, um, they still got to get the results out of it, except the Heidenheim game and the Bielefeld game, but they fall back, um, and I think that's in the end that that's the quality what makes the difference in the in the promotion battle. Yeah, absolutely, and you know. Depth is a massive factor in a lot of sports, and and football is no different. And when Darmstadt have had those those players down, they've been, those who have come in have been able to fulfil the duties. Maybe not as well, but you know, well enough that it helps them structurally. And Paderborn, when they lost the likes of Leipertz and and Peering, uh, you know, and, and Platter for a period of time, and they just didn't have a nucleus that could fix it because of their skill sets being very specific compared to the replacements. So they'll be disappointed. Um, they get a good opportunity to, to fix that against Hansa Rostock, who we'll talk about in Group 3. Uh, Darmstadt, they are away at Fortuna Dusseldorf. That's a World Feed game. There'll be a match day preview for that one, so be ready for that one on Saturday morning probably when it comes out. I don't know. But yeah, um, you know, for, for Darmstadt, before we go, they're seven points clear of third place. Um, they're in really good shape. And, you know, based on form and, and what's happening around them, it would be really difficult for them. It would be the harder thing to do to not make automatic promotion, let alone the playoff. So, yeah. Let's move on then. We'll talk about Heidenheim, who hosted St. Pauli. 
on Saturday night in front of a packed Voigt Arena at capacity. Big game for Heidenheim. They knew that they had to get a result to remain in the top two. They also hope to end St. Pauli's nine-game winning run, which in the club's 112-year history, this is currently their longest ever winning streak. So how did it play out? Well, Heidenheim were surprisingly toothless, and they really struggled to break down a St. Pauli team that has been a little bit vulnerable in the defensive end. We've seen teams being able to break down St. Pauli, especially in that defensive third when they try to play out from the back. And Heidenheim really didn't do that. And they were eventually punished. It's really hard to explain this goal without trying to visualize it because it was a rocket. It was at the near post. It was Marcel Hartl. And it was 1-0. And that's all you can really say about this game is that St. Pauli made it 10 on the trot. Heidenheim dropped out of the top two, and it's going to really hurt them um, to lose a rare away uh, game um, at home. But not only did this become a six-pointer, but St. Pauli are only four points behind Heidenheim. And this has been an extraordinary turnaround. We've talked about it. It's been everywhere. Everyone's at nauseum talking about how great St. Pauli are at the moment. And, you know, 10-game winning run is very rare for a team that was basically staring down the barrel barrel of relegation. But I want to talk about Heidenheim here because this was such a great opportunity for them to really stake a claim to showcase that they are a, they genuinely deserve to be a top three side in the league. And I don't think any of us could have foreseen such a, a limp performance from a team that is usually quite hard to beat at home. Yeah, and I think this is like... We talk about six pointers when we are like in the relegation battle. By my opinion, um, we talk too less about those six point potential six points game and promotion battles. And this was that because there were so many reasons, and you just you just pointed them out why you shouldn't lose this game of all games at this point in the season, um, and they did. And um, the thing is, what I thought in this game was something was essentially missing from the team and that was the trust that they can just score uh, no matter if they are the better team or not. I think the, the biggest problem is that Kleindienst was in positions to score um, but either was the like the opportunity on goal they're not good enough or they weren't just as efficient. I mean if you look back at Kleindienst's goals um, he just has to stand there half of the time. Just his presence alone, and then obviously his quality on the ball. It's not like you could put a, like a woodman in there and he would do the same. That's not what I'm saying. Just saying like he always knows where to be and the players will find him. But this scene, in my opinion, you could really see that only once when you had that Führenbach cross into the box in the first half and then Kleindienst tries this header and he has to take the hat because everything like otherwise it probably would um would pull the whistle because of dangerous play or something like that um and after that what I really liked about St. Pauli is that they let players like Furenbach um not really 
come to this kind of opportunities where they can take the crosses in. And there was a very good match plan. You only had those um, in the second half, your chances through Vesta, um, which you like, he's one of the players you cannot put out for entirety of the game. Uh, I think there was one um, corner, which was very well executed. I don't know if he wanted that. that he could have been a direct goal. Uh, by ends on the woodwork. Um, and then St. Pauli, I mean, probably this could have, if it ends in a draw, we we probably have to talk about both chances David Otto had in this game, uh, hits the woodwork once, and then I don't think, like, then it's a one-on-one against Müller, where I just didn't think that he, like, it's too lazy what he does against him. Um but in the end, it doesn't matter. Once again, you don't have to win every game with 5-0 or something like that. Obviously, sometimes we will look at goal difference. This is something we look a lot of in the bottom half of the table. It's going to be a huge, huge topic. But as of now, most important thing, getting the points. And they did it once again. It's the first defeat for Heidenheim in 13 games at home. After 13 games of being uh, unbeaten at home. Um once again, it's not easy winning there. And in the end, it doesn't really matter how they did it. Um, they broke the league record, or at least um, like uh, Karlsruhe had the record, I think, before. And uh, if you look back at the not like one-tracked Zweite Liga, it was Bielefeld, okay? um, like back in the 80s, I think, or something like that. But uh, yeah, in the end, good result for St. Pauli. And I mean... I have difficulties not speaking about it being deserved because in the end they did more for the game and they, um, yeah, that was, uh, I, it's never good to, to concede a goal after a throw-in. Um, we know that there are a lot of teams who established throw-ins as some sort of set piece. Um, and although this was a very short taken one, uh, Hadra should never get the... Like, it's a nearly no-look goal. And it's a beautiful one. And, um, yeah, Hadra is good for goals like that. And obviously him being the kind of heart of the this offensive midfield uh, with him, like, running nearly 14 kilometers in a game um, as, uh, was a very good game for him. Yeah. yeah, it is his fourth goal of the campaign as well. Um and it's just hard not to look a little bit further ahead to that derby game because it just everything is culminating towards that particular outing. Um, we will talk about Hamburg in a second. So Heidenheim away at Hanover on Friday night. Uh, St. Pauli, they are at, back at home against Eintracht Braunschweig on Sunday afternoon. We mentioned Hamburg. Let's talk about them. Uh, they hosted Hanover at the Volkspark Stadion on Saturday afternoon, there was a good traveling contingency of Hanover fans, but I can guarantee you they did not expect to see one of the numbers in their logo, the year that they established, being on the scoreline. They were utterly, utterly destroyed. 6-1 your final. And there was a little bit of hope, almost Hamburg toying with them after goals from Sonny Kittel and Laszlo Benish. Derek Kuhn got his second goal in consecutive games. And you thought, maybe, maybe Hanover could do something here. Maybe Hamburg will re in, you know, re-engage in the same sorts of stereotypes that we talk about them as a team that at this time of the year folds like a deck of cards. Maybe, all these maybes. 
well, they they were it was such a beatdown. Um, that was a message after two games that they had failed to secure wins in. That was a real, real message sender with Benish getting a second, Glatzel getting on the score sheet, uh, Ransford Jobold, Konigsdorfer, and then Ludovic Rice rounding out what was a six-star performance. And it helps them into second place in the standings. They're two points ahead of Heidenheim, five points behind Darmstadt... There's no words to describe. I, I I don't even think it's worth talking about Hanover because we spoke last week about the Julian Burner situation. They chucked in the 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 the, uh, the the academy player to play centre back. I mean, I have so much sympathy for the young man because he's been put in the worst situation possible, and it wasn't his fault. It wasn't partly his fault. Just as a collective, they were awful and terrible, and. Now you have to now this this creates an interesting scenario again because they win last week everyone's like yeah finally we've broken our duck but the follow up we always talk about the follow up performance yeah you c- yeah that's it, it it is Hamburg we get it it's Hamburg but this this is this is not acceptable no and especially because we've seen it before them falling apart if you look back at the Paderborn game for example and the thing is obviously they the 3-1 against Sandhausen for them um it was obviously first off it was the start to kind of reconnect with the fence at the same time it was a message like okay guys don't worry about like getting relegated and stuff there's just nothing we have to do with that and then if you just look at the goal difference now we, we said this before 34 points if obviously but they can not have like a very low place in the table they don't think they would get relegated but i don't think place 15 in the table or something like that would be ideal for them either obviously they have their plan and kind of get promoted in the next three years but obviously it doesn't help if you have a new coach in place and this is your first season and it doesn't help that a Martin Kinn stands there days after that 1-3-1 and completely opens up about their plans Mm. for the next season like only strikers and uh, only players under 25 years uh there can be exceptions every other sport manager in the league is like what the hell <laughs> thank you we can know what we can like kind of expect from you uh, and i highly recommend if you if your german is good enough uh to listen to the um rasenfunk episode from last week the quotes pass um if you want to know a lot about Karlsruhe, I'm trying to kind of, if we talk about them, kind of trying to get that together in the end uh, when we talk about them, um, kind of sum that up. Um, but it also is being talked about Hanover um, from a fan's perspective. I think it kind of, kind of can help us to understand that. But I mean, it's the I think the fans packed up like after the fourth goal. Yeah, I just stop supporting. And I mean, it's it's always a thing. You you don't have a good season, 
particularly you know you kind of lost the fence and then you can lose in Hamburg that's okay but not like that as you've mentioned I want to if we talk about fans want to quickly touch about uh, touch on uh, what like fans were presenting in that game first of all Hamburg was um, had like huge banners in demanding fair ticket pricing because mm-hmm. if you just look at it this is unreal we we'll talk about the Zweite Liga and the most expensive pensive car for a normal seating ticket we don't talk about vip or anything Mm. for the derby is 104 euros we're talking about the zweite liga Mm. um and all in all those ticket pricing you have different pricing for every game as of now hanover fans were very self self self-aware in this it was like because we have something that's called top spiel zuschlag so if it's like a top game or most exciting game you pay more it's a very common thing but normally not like it that depends from game to game as well like you have five different ways of how it can be a top game and handover fans were like top game pricing for us (laughs) do you see what we're doing here um yeah and obviously um it's always good if criticism comes from the fan scene itself because like um this pricing also affects obviously away fans um and football needs to be payable for everyone uh because we always say it's football for everyone but only like obviously not every person can stand for 90 minutes in the in the stadium or it doesn't want to as for every kind of reason and you have to give them the opportunity not to spend three or four or five times more mm. than they would be when they would stand and still the, the standing prices are ridiculous as well um and and yeah this is something i but if those are this is the pricing for spider bundesliga season i don't want to be any kind of fan friend when they get promoted again mm. um and to get money through this is never a good thing and it always kind of hints at something that you kind of miscalculated something before and it's never good so it's good that Hamburg fans are calling this out and forming the rest of the fans as well um and I do hope for their sake that the club is going to react because you have to have some sort of transparency for fans as well um because we we see this in England fans will always come or people because I want to be careful with the word fans here people will always come but at some stage, those like football is also always, especially like in England, but also in Germany, it's being pronounced as this um, working class sport, yeah. as this middle lower class sport. Um, but the people we're getting with those prices are not <clears throat> lower or middle class. It's no. the big money people who can easily afford a um, 800 euro season ticket and. <laughs> Like, this is not something I want in my stand. Those are not the people, like, they can go, but, like, there should not be the majority of people who should be in a football stadium. That's just my personal opinion. But I think if you advertise football like that as a league, as a club, um, you should make sure that everyone, literally, if you say football is for everyone, then make sure that everyone has the opportunity, money-wise, to go to a football game. Yeah, I mean, I know... Reading the the Fulham situation, uh, podcast friend Archie Rintut is um, fairly outraged that Fulham have one of the highest ticket 
prices, season ticket prices, and that's about to go up. Um, and they were only promoted last season back to the Premier League. Um, and yeah, the Hamburg situation is 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 really bad. You, the one the one thing that, as an outsider, from someone who hasn't had the opportunity to experience it, it's always commended about how affordable football is to go to Germany. Don't the last thing that you you want to tarnish it is that football is affordable, and then in the fine print, in little tiny words, if you pay for it. And that's the situation no one wants to deal with, and hopefully Hamburg addressed this. Um, I understand that, obviously, it's a top game, we get it, but 104 euros for uh, 90 minutes? I don't think so. That's no good. Uh, it does spoil the fact that they actually killed, they absolutely destroyed Hanover. They were great. After half an hour... Because, as we've mentioned at the start, yeah. it was very it was very pedestrian from a lot of teams. But um, yeah, once they once they got the first goal, they looked pretty comfortable. But then after conceding that the, the goal, they just ramped up the intensity and it got too hot in the kitchen. Uh, I should should put some respect on the, uh, the the name of Yannick Lures, who was the Hanover player who who was making his debut. Um, yeah, pretty tough circumstances to to make your debut. So Ham- Hamburg Hamburger at Kaiserslautern. That's the other World Feed game. That's a top Spieler, real. Um, that's a real uh, historic classic. North beats South, two giants of the of the German game. Uh, Hanover they host Heidenheim on Friday night, as we mentioned. Um, yeah, they may want to respond. Just you know. It's it's a big stadium they play in at the Heinz von Heiden Arena. It would be a great travesty if it's half empty again. Uh, we should take our first break. And on the other side, uh, we're going to head to our Group 2 games. And we're going to start at the Schuko Arena when Armenia Bielefeld hosted Fortuna Dusseldorf. It's been an unbeaten start to life for Bielefeld under Uwe Koshnat, but they faced a very stern test when Fortuna Dusseldorf made their way to Ostwestfalen on Sunday afternoon. A big player who would be missing this game would be Masai Okugawa, so we saw Yoni Serra back into the starting lineup. What was a bit of a different tactical look for, for Bielefeld. It didn't stop them from taking the lead, however, when Jekyll found Fabian Klaus on 19 minutes to make it 1-0 in front of the major home support. And I can imagine a really large scream and yell and happy times and it was looking good half time came around they were 1-0 up they were holding a lot of pressure defensively um you know Fortuna were providing lots of lots of questions but heading into the break Bielefeld were able to answer them but early in the second half those uh those questions posed well they were very much answered by Dusseldorf because they scored twice in the space of 12 minutes to give themselves a 2-1 lead the first coming from Emmanuel Yoa, and then a long counter-attack saw Felix Klaus score his fourth goal of the campaign. Klaus has actually had some really good form over the last few weeks. In a game that Dusseldorf probably should have wrapped up, they left the door ajar. And as we are aware, when you leave the door ajar, some teams just walk straight through. And Bielefeld did that. On 84 minutes, substitute Brian Lasma squeezed a shot through a gargle of players and passed an unsighted Florian Karstenmeier to rescue a point for Bielefeld. It means that Bielefeld remain 14th on the ta- in the table. Two points ahead of Regensburg in the relegation playoff spot, whilst Dusseldorf will rue the fact that they probably should have had six points in their last two games. And 
if we do the maths, they would be within three points of Heidenheim. We spoke about it off air before recording that Bielefeld weren't great. Koshinat was very clear about that during the post-match. So was so were the players. It was a very static performance of a team that really struggled to cohesively play together. That being said, as the theme of the podcast has been this week, it's all about getting those points. And in the end, they were able to get a point, even if it seemed very unlikely. Yeah, and I mean, the the good thing is that someone who, like, was put into the game, like, I mean, we had it before with uh, Kanurich versus Darmstadt, um, and now we have Brian Lasmo who was put in, into this game, um, and he scored. And, I mean, this is something that can help the team, and although it wasn't the best performance, obviously, it was a bit difficult as well because both of the central defenders got a yellow card very early, where I would argue... Um, you can do it, but then you have to go through with it. And in the end, it was three to one yellow cards. Like that, half of them went came like in the first twenty minutes or so. And obviously against so Hamosh and and Yekel and Yekel had to stop off due to other reasons because he didn't really see a lot. And um, I mean, it could have been a more difficult game if if Reiser would have had to sub off as well because uh, there was an explosion behind him. Mm. Something I will not understand, like I, I said it before, huge fan of pyrotechnics, but first of all, never lose the hand. Second of all, why why this? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, uh, in the end, um, obviously, probably one of the games where Martin Freiser couldn't really um, prove a lot in the past couple of weeks and uh, where we kind of argued where he was at. But I think this was a game where he could prove himself. Um, he had the two scenes, I think, against Klaus and Tanaka. Um, and I think he was one of the reasons Bielefeld stayed in that game and had the opportunity to score. Um, I have to say, I don't really understand why Dusseldorf was, in my opinion, very passive in the last 15 or 10 to 15 minutes and gave Bielefeld the room. Um, because we've... like. This is something you could have seen under Uwe Koshina, This that this team is not giving up no matter who they're playing against. And obviously, they were on the kind of receiving end of having a late equalizer in the game in the past. Um, but on this, like, this game, they, they scored as well, which is good for them. I mean, as, as most important thing is that they didn't lose. But for Dusseldorf, like, um, I really, really want to quit uh, there. Speak quickly about uh, um, Felix Klaus in this game uh, because he has been fantastic in the last couple of weeks, in my opinion. Um, and personally, just for him, if I don't look at this from a Bielefeld perspective, I was happy that I got, he got a goal in this game uh, because he was one of the best players and it was very quick thinking and his goal yeah. was very good and um, credit where credit is due, to be honest. Um, I think for Dusseldorf, something they will... Who they will really, really miss is Awatanaka, mm. who's out with the injury. Uh, we don't really know yet when he's going to return, but yeah, um, yeah. I think in 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 a way, the two two kind of describes just like just how it went because two digital players are on the ball and they no do not really clear it, and it lands in front of Lasma at a like 
plays on the pitch in front of the box where the ball should never be clear to. Um, so yeah, that's probably like in a way I I would still agree, say Düsseldorf was the better team, but as I said before, said in the first game and and stuff, it's all about getting the result. And if you just are too passive for the last ten minutes of the game, it doesn't matter who you play in the in the Zweite Liga if the score is so close. Um, everything can happen and then it doesn't really matter who you play if it's the first team or the last team on the table. Yeah, I mean, it's clear that, you know, we've spoken about it for a few weeks with Fortuna and, you know, even though they're unbeaten in the last five games, just, they they will look, in, in, in hindsight, and I'm sure we'll talk about it in our season review, just feels a little bit like a, a bit of a wasted season for them. They, they clearly have the quality... We, we really love Daniel Tiyun as a manager. Um, but, yeah, they just... They're a dollar late and, you know... Well, they're, they're, an, they're a minute late and a dollar short. So, anyway, they've got Darmstadt. We've spoken that, about that already. Match day preview on Saturday. <clears throat> and uh, Bielefeld, they're on the road. They're at Karlsruhe, which should be a really interesting game on Sunday afternoon. Let's make our way north to Braunschweig. Eintracht hosted Kaiserslautern, two sides that were promoted at the start of the season. Both have had indifferent campaigns, although Kaiserslautern have well and truly hit the brakes for this season so far, or for 2023 anyway. Eintracht have proven that they have been a bit trickier at home. They obviously had the win last time out against Hanover in the uh, the Niedersachsen derby. Could they do it again? Well, this was a cagey game. Minimal chances. We talk about games being a slow burn this match day. Uh, this was one of them that took at least a half to get into real action. There would be a goal, and it would come 14 minutes before normal time was up. And it all started from an excellent tackle from Yanis Nikolaou, which magically found its way to Maurice Multalp. Multalp drove at the ball, drove at the goal, whipped it, and Anthony Uja, who thought he had scored, wish he had scored against Hanover, as he had done in the in the return fixture, he would actually get, he would get the goal in this one, and it would count for him. And uh, that was your final, because Kaiserslautern had a great chance, and I mean a great chance, to break Ron Torben Hoffman's clean sheet late in the, in the piece. A wonderful ball that found Ben Zielinski all on his own at the back post, and he rattled the woodwork. Maybe the ball bounced up on him. I'm not entirely sure. But that was such a bad miss at a time where Kaiserslautern were pushing for an equaliser. What does this mean for both sides? Will Braunschweig remain 15th? By remain, I mean they leapfrog Jan Regensburg into 15th. Kaiserslautern are 7th. Um, and the teams below them, the likes of Kiel, Karlsruhe, are starting to close that gap to them as they continue their five-game winless run. This was a this was a really difficult game to talk about to talk about in terms of, you know, it was really difficult for, to make chances. But for me, Kaiserslautern had the better of the chances. I was really impressed with what Ron Torben Hoffman did in goal, um, replacing the suspended Yasmin Fazic. And it was a question that we possessed. We po- um, I've forgotten how to speak English. We, it was something that we thought about at the start of the season. Who would start in goal? Would it be Hoffman? Would it be Fazic? Fazic has played the majority of the games this season. But 
if we're looking towards the future, you know, Hoffman, an ex-Bayern goalkeeper, was part of Sunderland's team that went up to, to the championship last season. They have a quality second goalkeeper who can easily be a number one in this league. Uh, yeah, I would really agree, and I think it was a good game for him to prove himself um, and kind of kind of give give Faser to run for his money. Um, I mean, you said Kaiserslautern had had good chances, but I would argue um, that like the majority of those uh, chances only came um, in the first, like the the like the really on target chances only really came in the first half, mm. and you that like the really really dangerous one was the Solinsky one you spoke about and that was as you've mentioned towards the end of the game mm-hmm. and um around that contract game not a lot happened for them they they had their chances but what is kind of a theme for Kaiserslautern if you talk about them away at home uh, away from home away at home yeah sure <laughs> uh, away from home is that they can't really have the same amount of yep efficiency probably as well as on like precision like they do at home um and yeah in my opinion you could really see that in this game and i mean um Brandtrick showed once more that sometimes one good pass is enough and yeah that mold help uh through pass was yeah. i think perfectly timed have Uja completely on side and just have it through. It was very good. Multip is one in, I think, in general in that Braunschweig team in the, like 2023, kind of towards the last weeks. Um, yeah, where he really stepped up and um, for, for, for Braunschweig, probably what they will look at is probably Ferrei. Uh, because he had to be transport off the pitch, and I think mm. they they think it's some sort of broken nose or something like this. I'm not completely sure. Um, I think he will be out at least for the game against St. Pauli, uh, but I would argue that the Magdeburg game is going to be the more important one at home again. They have then two home games in a row against Magdeburg and Paderborn. Um, and, and, and I mean, when we talk about Kaiserslautern, we know every point that comes now is a bonus. Um, and they will be happy that they play Hamburg at home. I mean, the good thing is for, for Kaiserslautern in the way, as mentioned before, everything they do now is is a bonus. The pressure is not really there anymore. At the same time, maybe it leads to games like this where they know, OK, we don't really have to do a lot now anymore. They, those teams will not really challenge us in the end um, because we're safe. Um but yeah, I think um, for for um, for Kaiserslautern they will want to have better results against Regensburg and Rostock. I think the rest of the league hopes that they're not completely say, okay, our season is done now. <laughs> <laughs> this is like ah, we don't care where we end up. Especially like if you look back at the expectations, obviously they fulfilled them. They the task they had it very early in hand. Um, but yeah, I think. Um, in the end, Kaiserslautern's match plan has been figured out by mm. teams. And this is why they don't have the same quality of chances uh, that they had before, especially away from home. Yeah, I mean, we, we always, you know, I can't even remember the last time we, we spoke about Terence Boyd. Um, and the biggest issue that they've got at the moment is they can't get the ball to him. 
I thought, you know, Kurache and um, Benkovic were brilliant in, in nullifying his influence on the game. And um, the real onus was on someone else had to go and get it for for Kaiserslautern. Obviously, we'll talk about the Zelensky chance. It was a great ball by Tibravili. Uh, but yeah, they just... Yeah, they they look they're they're short of ideas now, and when you're a team that is not really in danger of going down, and you haven't got a whole lot to play for, you know, that's obviously where sort of the the mental the mind kind of wanders towards. You know, am I going to be going to Mallorca, Cancun, or Mykonos, or somewhere beachy for my July holiday before we go back to training camp and you know, it, it's clear that they've, they've, the, the the intensity and the performance that they had at the start of the season and even early parts of 2023 have kind of dropped away. And yeah, I mean, they, they're going to play an they're going to play a part in teams that are trying to survive. Um, and that's pretty. There, there are a few teams that will that will definitely influence the outcome of the relegation race. And maybe Heidenheim and St. Pauli fans will certainly be pr- hoping that they can influence a, a victory against Hamburg on Saturday night. The other Saturday afternoon game was Nuremberg and Karlsruhe. This was um, this was an interesting game in, in the fact that I really felt that, in, in my opinion, Nuremberg were the better team. They were a lot more industrious. They were very productive in the final thought. Quadwadua was brilliant. So, of course, they conceded the first goal. They lost possession in the back. Uh, Paul Niebel with a great pass and, and, and a real nice lunge by Mikkel Kaufman, who is only giving Karlsruhe's financial department more headaches. They obviously want to sign him, but with every goal he scores, it makes it more and more harder for them to be able to sign him on a permanent deal. Um, so there, there's that. So um, Obviously, it's been a big week for Karlsruhe. We, we spoke about it last week with Oliver Kreutzer leaving. Um, and yeah, and then, then Nuremberg really just kind of took over the game. They had a goal disallowed uh, when Mats Molodaly found Dua, but Molodaly was offside. It was marginal, but it was correct, so there's no argument with that. We would love to have seen the goal regardless. Um, and then the big scene of the game, in stoppage time, uh, Christoph Daferner is in on goal. He's clearly fouled by Marcel Franker, and I... Don't know what uh, angle the referee, um, Wolfgang Hasselberger, don't look at my notes, It's a, he's, that's not the right referee. Um, I, I'm, he must have had a bad angle because it was clear from every TV angle that they showed live that Franco had clearly just taken the legs of Daferna. Obviously, they looked at it. Frank had got his second yellow, so he'll miss next week. And, uh, yeah, Dua scores the, the penalty in stoppage time, and a point is salvaged for Nuremberg, which means that they remain in 13th. They have a pretty bad goal difference. Um, and this is where it might come in handy for Bielefeld if they were to win a bunch of games towards the end of the year. They've got that very solid goal difference comparative to the rest. Um, Karlsruhe, they remain in ninth. Uh, I would say that they are pretty clear from, from being in any danger of going down and are preparing for next season. 
Um, considering everything that happened in the cup mid midweek for Nuremberg, where they were beaten by Stuttgart, and it took a a pretty decent counter attacking goal to to dispose them of a semi final berth. I thought the response was good. They they played very positively. They were a bit more dynamic in those in those attacking areas. When they had Dewar in, they got they put Dewar in good positions. Good things were happening. Um, but I can't help but feel that they would be really disappointed that they didn't win this game because they had the chances. They they really put Karlsruhe in some very difficult situations. You look at the card situation, uh, just as a as a kind of litmus test. Three of the four defenders for Karlsruhe were on yellow cards, and they took advantage of them having to be a bit more conservative in their approach, uh, which didn't matter in the end. But, you know, they probably should have won this game. And we, we spoke about this off there. One player who was really good at kind of controlling the midfield was Florian Flick, who was really good alongside Templeman and maybe should is, is proving a case as to why he should be playing at the big club uh, instead of playing in the Spider Bundesliga. I'm not angry at all. I'm not resenting this at all. No, not angry. <laughs> Not not getting that vibe at all. No, I think this is uh, Florian Fick has been that kind of fulfilled that midfield very well since joining Nuremberg, in my opinion. Always kind of is the heart of the team uh, with a very young age, always like doing the meters uh, very well, in my, my opinion, and kind of, yeah, giving the balls away, away very well. Um, yeah, von Nuremberg, it's so weird because it's something like you know how it's going to be. You know Nuremberg is the better team and you know when you hear done go in Nuremberg, it's Karlsruhe scored. Because somehow they still have struggled and this is one of the reasons why they have only 23 goals this mm. season. Um, it's just that they are missing this sort of confidence in them. So, which is at, at some sort understandable. I know, I know that from Bielefeld two years in the Bundesliga. It's just very difficult picking up points if you don't score the goals. Although you have the quality there, like with Dua, um, forgot about the Ferner. And I mean, obviously for Nuremberg, they um, also had a very unfortunate Pokal game against, against Stuttgart, uh, where you might say like, very, very unfortunate to concede so late in the game. Mm. Um, somehow the the game between the two Bundesliga sides managed to be worse than Nuremberg against Stuttgart, but that's just my <laughs> personal opinion. Um, uh, yeah. Um, for Kaisi, obviously, um, I thought they were ha- like it was coming because the way they were just passive in the second half was atrocious in my opinion. Uh, and you could like, this is similar maybe in a way to, to Kaiserslautern that they kind of know, okay, we're probably not the team on the spot here. We're not the team who has to fight for everything. So we're just going to let it roll. And let's see, don't know. I mean, they have the second team that is in that mix coming on the weekend with Aminia being a fan. So they will hope for it. They think it will not turn out the same, but, I um, kind of hinted at it before. I just quickly want to touch on it because uh, last week Oliver Kreutzer was let go um, due to like reasons of saying, okay, we kind of finished um, the like the development of the stadium, the growth of the stadium, 
etc and we didn't really manage uh if i understood that correctly like for the um this was like in 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 a very small sentence or in a very small piece of that explanation uh but i think that's the most important one that we're saying yeah they didn't really reach their potential and their like targeted Hmm. um place in the table or whatever which i find a bit weird um in the end because no offense to karlsruhe but i mean if you look at last seasons they always managed to not get relegated um and somehow this is always the most important thing in this matter bundesliga if you're a team like karlsruhe again very traditional club but just like how which players they get in obviously this was a difficult season from the get-go without philip hoffman um and this is the part where i get all my knowledge from the kst fan because from an outside perspective oliver kreuzer was there at the club for a very long time as a player and as a kind of operating person in in different yeah different seats on the table kind of and that decision was three to two that it was let go because um, there were five people and that's sort of mm. presidential mm-hmm. I don't know how, how you want to put it um, and two, the two people who voted against letting him go are the vice presidents and they are kind of also the uh, beneficiaries for the new parking lot or something like that was supposed to be built and they said it was that was on hold before but they now said yeah you don't get that now (laughs) (laughs) and funny thing is one of the new people who is supposed to come in as no sporting director which is kind of in that application process is christian eichner's um I want I wanted to say maid of honor, but that's not correct. <laughs> Women in sports, we don't talk about that. Uh, no, best man. We know before that in football, as soon as someone comes in who is the best man of another person, huge talk. Think back to David Wagner and Jurgen Klopp. Worked out very well for David Wagner in the end, mm. uh, being the best man for Jurgen Klopp. Very loveless. Um, no, he's supposed to be the. Yeah, the uh, best man of Christian Eichner, which I find weird as well. But okay, again, don't think because then you have the whole thing. If in mm. sports it gets a bit more difficult, yep. who goes first and then and yeah, yeah. weird stuff. Um, yeah, I think in the end, um, like the whole squad build up, it's the squad is quite old or mm. older in my opinion. So this is something they will probably look at be more focused on our youth academy, youth work. Um, and, I mean, they have players like Vanitek, who I think if he fulfills his contract, will be there 10 years as well. Um, but, yeah, players, obviously, like Gondorf, they're getting older. Um, and they kind of want to, yeah, build a build a future there to, to step it up, to, to have, like, some sort of, yeah second row that can step in at some point and yeah i think that's mika kaufman is for kind of fulfilling now the role that philip hoffman mm. left or that void uh but it took a time and just to learn off out of that that you cannot 
just replace someone that you that will need time and I think that's something Karlsruhe has to learn and that the new sporting director whoever it will be uh, but I think we have a we always talk about Bayern Munich at the S the FC Hollywood mm. um, and I think uh, Karlsruhe kind of fulfills right now that 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 void in the twenty league other place that position yeah. Yeah, I mean, we've had Hamburg for four years do that for us, which has been no. Sorry, guys. I know, I know, boo. But um, yeah, obviously that you know, with the stadium that I, is nearly completed or it's almost completed, and it feels like it's taken forever for it to be completed. Um, obviously now the the goal is to have a long term strategy that will see them in the Bundesliga. I mean, it's the one that makes the most sense. But as we know. Having a long-term strategy is one thing, and being able to execute it is another. So let's see if they can do that. Uh, obviously, that will be one that we will definitely be looking for, looking at over the next few seasons. Uh, let's take our final break, and on the other side, we'll get to our Group 3 games. We're going to be looking at all the teams that are fighting to avoid relegation, those in the bottom three. And we're going to start at Regensburg, when Jan hosted Magdeburg. Magdeburg were hoping to make it two on the bounce when they travelled to Regensburg on Sunday afternoon. In a game that would be, well, interestingly officiated, but also poorly game-managed by Magdeburg. It started with the the goal of the match day. An incredible free kick from Baris Attic from range and at the left, further on from the left edge, the penalty area, curling and dipping and doing all kinds of that good stuff to beat Jonas Urbig. And whilst it may seem fun to pick at the goalkeeper, Erbig was a massive part as to why Regensburg remained in this game. As Magdeburg came knocking and knocking and huffing and puffing and trying to blow down a second goal, they would concede one of the silliest goals of the campaign and why communication is key. Because Khan Kalaskana's cross should have been easily claimed by Dominic Ryman. Instead, Silas Gnaka intervened for whatever reason, and his intervention was costly because he can, they conceded. So 1-1 it was. As the game progressed, it always felt like Magdeburg were going to get the second goal, and they did on 80 minutes. Uh, a set piece that came off three different Magdeburg players, and eventually they credit it to Daniel Elfadilly. There was thoughts that it might have been Bruckner, it might have been Lawrence, but eventually, after multiple sites had different interpretations on who scored the bloody goal. El Fadili gets his third goal of the campaign. And it always felt like Magdeburg would get a third. But, alas, they did not. In fact, they would concede with a minute left of normal time when Khan Kaliskana got his fifth goal of the campaign in what was a man-of-the-match performance for him. It got worse for Magdeburg when they were reduced down to 10 men when Daniel Heber fouled... Um, I think it was Kaliskana in the end. This this brings in the question... See, this is an interesting one because we saw this last week. We saw this exact situation last week in a different part of the pitch. On every replay, I am convinced... It was Sarpreet Singh, by the way. He did not touch him. There is no contact. I cannot see contact from all the views. And he got given a straight red card because he denied a clear goal-scoring opportunity. What, what I can't I don't we punishing the action I understand it I get it 
But if it if he had studded him in the ankle or took his knee out fine. But I can't I maybe I'm maybe I need glasses. But I can't I could not see any contact there. So maybe I'm wrong. But I didn't see enough I didn't see enough for it to be a red card though. Um like I the the initial pictures I saw was quite sure it was a red card. It's mm. a bit difficult than seeing the um like just on how he goes into that. Um it's just I think it's always the like the potential mm. um yeah the the potential risk that there's there. But I mean like we always talked about action I always have to think back to the Darmstadt game yeah. where he said, Oh, it's not a red card because uh the action is not being fulfilled. Yeah. Although my opinion still should have been a very clear straight red card because like it's just a very stupid thing to do and it's not only a foul but like something you would tend to say it's like uh Tätlichkeit so like yeah, yeah unfair stuff to do. In football but it's just my personal opinion. Um but yeah, I think this is, I mean, this has been a theme for the whole season. Mm. And um, yeah, I'm like, I don't know. I mean, in, in a way, then Singh had that free kick and that was one of the worst free kicks or mm. one of the worst yeah. set pieces I've seen by him. Yeah, it was pretty bad. Um, or in in the league in general, I'm a fan of Armenian Bielefeld, so I'm allowed to say that. Mm. Um, yeah. I mean, it's just this mark to book all over, and again, I'm so mm. sorry for them because they so much good football in this game again. But it's what we've been saying for the whole season. Yeah. They just are. They bring their own downfall to those games. Yeah. They are the better team, but I just don't do enough, and they let Ringsburg come back into this game. You. Obviously, the Gnarka own goal. But then, I mean, how can Carlos Kana be so free? I just wrote, the hell, Magdeburg. <laughs> it looks so easy how they can play that out in that situation. And Carlos Kana is completely free in the box. That should yeah. never happen. Sure. Never. Mm. As it doesn't matter who you play. Never let an offensive player of your opponents be that free in the box. That's the basic one-on-one, yeah. one, depending, kind of. And, yeah, this is... I, I just don't know. And, uh, I mean, for for me, the free kick that led to the 2-1 is a bit questionable as well. Mm. But it's just my opinion. Yeah. Um, uh, but, yeah, I mean, um, I know... Yeah, in a way, I for for Magdeburg, it's good that if Bell Bell can't play, plays like Oman come in and they mm. kind of fulfill that. So something we like when we talked about Darmstadt at the beginning, the like the fill-ins they yep. do their job. Uh, but yeah, and this is why it's unnecessary close for Magdeburg. I think if they would have won that game, they kind of would have been cleared. Yep. Um, mm. But that because they still play Zantelsen and Braunschweig, and especially the Braunschweig game, if they lose that. They completely kind of yeah. push themselves into that. It's a bit unnecessary for Ringsburg. Important weeks ahead with Fürth, Kaiserslautern and Sandhausen. Um, especially the Sandhausen game. Yeah, it's where they want to get the points. Let's put it like that. Yeah, agreed. For what it's worth, I'm happy to be wrong as long as it's consistent. Okay, let's move on. Uh, let's move to Rostock. Hansa hosting Holstein Kiel 
in the I have no idea how this game was going to go for the beginning and after watching this game I have no idea what I just saw. 3-2 was your final but it was Kiel on the right side of the ledger this time. They didn't start particularly well. Rick Van Jongelen got the opening goal of the match. But either side of halftime Kiel just three goals in the space of what would you describe it as five technical football minutes? Fabian Riza, Willem Zander, Lewis Holtby. Oh, come on. Holtby's first goal since match day 33 against Nuremberg. So 3-1 after 47 minutes, and then Hentzer made it 3-2. Hansa were, for me, Hansa were much more dynamic in that fight, in the attack. They certainly looked so much better without Jean Verhoek. They looked good with Pruger, Hentzer, it was a good combination. It worked. They they doubled the amount of shots to kill. But you can tell that they are a team that just hasn't scored many goals. They have 23 for the season. They are equal worse with Nuremberg. They are there for a reason. But they showed that they can score. But they also reminded us that they are still absolutely awful at defending. And this was... A, we talk about momentum being such a pivotal part of games. The fact that you give up two goals... Right on the stro- right on the edge of halftime and into stoppage time, and then immediately after the break, that's just that's so hard to come back from. And as we as we saw, it was too hard for for Rostock to do. Yeah, but I mean, you have to say I think you could see uh, some sort of Adelschwartz football in here, mm. like just from how they build up. Um, it was not a particularly bad game by Rostock, but this is what we said before: doesn't matter. We have that stage where it doesn't matter. And if you concede three goals in a game, supposedly not a very good game defensively. Again, I'm very sorry to say that, but again. And I mean, if that 2-1, a bit similar to the to the Ringsburg we just talked about, Becker is to open on the right side of the Riese, who was once again, like, one of the best players in that mm-hmm. game for Kiel. Then you had Schumacher, who is not really doing the right way towards Be- uh, Becker and letting him pass too easily. And then Van Drongelen versus Sander. Mm-hmm. was like, Van Drongelen, great that you score a goal, but like, please focus on your first task at hand, and that is defending. Didn't really do that here. Um and I mean, what's get? This is Holstein Kiel. We've seen it in the past. We've seen it the whole season. They give up goals like very easily as well. Um, it's always a lot of goals when you look at Rostock games normally, as except if they play Hamburg. Uh, and I mean, if you, in my opinion, we praised him on the week before. I thought in this game wasn't one of his better performance. In my opinion, um, it's kind of mis- a mistake how he goes there versus Hinterseer because if he chooses to to kind of take that duel on he has to be the winner mm-hmm. because obviously it opens up the goal behind him um yeah my opinion didn't really do that well enough mm. and and that scene um probably Kolka not one of his best games either I think the the first goal is where he has to close um like he just opens it up and then he has to have it as well um so yeah all in all good result for kill although they made it unnecessarily close um but uh, yeah 
as mentioned before, only the results matter. And for Rostock, it doesn't look good. Like, yeah, obviously for there, there is an end to self-confidence that small things in the game give you. And I think, um, yeah, it's going to be a bit difficult for them, especially if you like the rest of your team, teams is going to be stone cold against you. And yeah, Paderborn führt Kaiserslautern. Again, they're no easy opponents, but yeah, wouldn't yeah, probably easier teams to play against at the moment. Yeah, I mean, look, they showed something, but we have to take it with a grain of salt that it's you know it's it's Kiel, the most confusing team in the league. They can be untouchable, and they can be like their best and worst is so far apart. And and they they showed that in this game, their best unbeatable, their worst. Uh, uh, well, you know, they leave it open. But, um, yeah, big games coming up. Kiel are at home against Nuremberg on Saturday. As even mentioned, Paderborn is Rostock's opponent also on Saturday. And to our final game of match day 27 at the BWT Stadion and Hartfold, Sandhausen, Grotefurt. This game was done pretty quickly. It was 2 0 in the end. Goals from Branami Hagorta and Ragnar Ache. Saw Furt take all three points. It also meant an end of the very quick and brief reign of Tomasz Oral. Um, uh, without, you know, we don't ever like to see anyone losing the job, of course, but uh, it became, it was pretty obvious to most of us that this was never going to work, and it approved just that. Um, uh, Gerhard Kleppinger is going to be the takeover, one of the takeovers for the remainder of this season. Um, I don't really know what to make of this game other than like Sandhausen were extraordinarily poor in the ways that they just offered so little against the team that once they took the two goal lead were very comfortable at just not doing a whole lot. And it was, it's, it's almost representative of a team that currently sits bottom of the table, six points away from the playoff. They feel it feels like it's over. I I don't know how about how you feel about it, but personally, uh, I am very close to putting a line through Sandhausen as a Swider Bundesliga club uh, at the moment because just what they showed on the weekend screams relegation. Uh, yeah, I would uh, agree. Uh, tend to agree. I mean, um, the second half, Sandhausen was better, but I mean, it was already done and dusted in the first half. And it was clear they could not really recover from that being 2 0 down. And with the mistakes they gave up, um, again, Gota's pass is good to find Achaba. It's too easy. Um, and yeah, I mean, in a way, I think two scenes really sum that up. One's Kinsombi, who is who isn't hitting the ball properly. The biggest chance was on Towson in the second half. Um, and then probably Oral, who says a word I will not repeat to Zorniga, and which is very stupid because the referee or the fourth officials standing right next to him. Um, and uh, he was sent off a very fitting end to his career, probably. Very short stint at St. Yeah, I don't know how they want to recover or how they want to pick up points. Um they gave up. They they gave games away too easily. They play uh, 
not like this team doesn't really know where to go. They're playing against Magdeburg next, then Paderborn, and then obviously Regensburg, which I talked about. And yeah, I don't know how they want to pick up the points here. Um, and I, from all the teams that are in the bottom half, you f- do fail to see how they want to get out of that. And I think that's, yeah, something that is never good. And I mean, at some stage, what always, like they had always the confidence in the past years that they were going to get through this and that there were going to be three teams that are worse off that. Um, and this year, it seems like they're one of those teams. Yeah. I, I, they, they may need to believe in some sort of higher power to reinvigorate this side. And i got to be honest, I don't think that higher power can help them. Um, you know, sure, they're not one of the worst... Well, they are one of the worst attacking teams in the league, but clearly the worst in defence, which is what Sandhausen has built their brand, their footballing brand on for the past decade as a team that is really difficult to score against. Can be a team that, you know, finds ways to get results, but they just do not have the luck no more, and it seems like it is curtain. It could be curtains. Never say never, but... It's very unlikely. Let's quickly get to our kick tip before we head off. Alex still remains top of the table, 321 points. Elbreeze, 96. Top scoring in, in a week where a lot of people scored in the high teens. They managed to finish the week with 18. That's us for another week of the Spider Bundesliga podcast. We'll be back next Wednesday to do it all again when we discuss all the action from match day 28. We thank you for your company. We wish you have a, a fantastic weekend, and we'll see you next time when the Spider Bundesliga returns.